Well, hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. It is so good to be here with you on this Sunday morning. Uh, if you are new here, my name is Eric No, and I just want to quickly invite you to a newcomer Zoom meeting at 1 p.m. Uh, it'll show up right here in our chat box for an RSVP, uh, but we would love to meet you. Uh, well, you know, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And that is exactly what I want to do right now. I want to boast, but I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to boast in the fact that God has been doing some amazing, amazing things through our church, New Life Fellowship. And I just want to name some of those things and really give praise and glory to God for all of these things. Uh, first of all, we just got done supporting Union Gospel Mission uh, with blessing bags and $10,000 in donations. So thank you so much, church, for doing that. Uh, we we went to uh, a place called uh, YWAM, uh, a YWAM base in Monroe, and uh, they are a mission-sending organization, and we helped clean up their facilities. We helped give them some money to purchase a new van, along with many other people who contributed to that van uh, collection, but we were able to, to do that. Uh, we uh, contributed manpower to North Shore Senior Center uh, and spent a Saturday there cleaning their facilities up. Uh, they are the second largest senior center facility in the entire United States. Uh, we are getting ready to donate uh, money to Frontline Foods, which is uh, an organization that um, partners with restaurants and, and, and frontline workers uh, to really provide meals for them. And so uh, to everyone who filled out that Next Step Newcomers card, we're going to be donating money on your behalf. Uh, we've commissioned over the last four to five months, we've commissioned two international missionaries uh, uh, through our church. We've supported them monetarily uh, and spiritually through prayers as well. Uh, in addition, We've gifted over a hundred or so foster kids uh, through Olive Crest and Kinship Connection. And that actually ends today for us. Uh, in the future, we're going to be hosting a community-wide event uh, to bless our community with a drive-in movie theater. We believe Christmas is not canceled this year, even though coronavirus is here. Uh, we believe it's not canceled. And so what we want to do is we want to still bless our community. And so we're going to uh, set up a drive-in movie theater type situation up uh, in our Korean ministries parking lot. And we just want people to come and be blessed during that season uh, for free. And uh, here's the craziest news of all. Since we started, uh, uh, you know, really uh, offering this uh, about six, uh, about in the month of August, we've had over 40 people, 40 individuals click that I commit my life to Jesus button. That's insane. That's incredible. I mean, I'm not a gospel prosperity charismatic preacher, but I mean, I'm about to shout hallelujah, amen, brothers. I mean, that is crazy, crazy stuff that God is doing in our church. And that is not because uh, of our pastors. It's not because of our elders. It's not because of the, the high up leaders. It's because God has been doing a work through our entire church. We cannot do this alone. We need the entire church, all of New Life Fellowship, every single one of you who call this church home to continuously serve, to continuously give, to continuously pray, to continuously support the work of this ministry. We need all of it. And this is what God is doing through not just me or our pastors, but through every single one of us who call this church home. And so I just want to thank every single one of you for being generous. I want to thank you for being generous with your time and with your money. I want to thank you for being generous and sharing our services. I just want to thank you because God is doing amazing, amazing things through our church. And because we've had so many people click this I commit my life to Jesus button. We're going to be launching next year. This is something I'm super, super excited about. Next year, January, the first Sunday of January, we're going to be launching into a brand new sermon series. I know we're already, we just started one last week, but we're going to be launching one in January called The Wonder of the Wilderness. And in this sermon series, what we're going to be doing for seven weeks is be studying in the book of Numbers. And the reason why is because of this. If you look at the book of Genesis, it's all about a ruined people. A people who have fallen from grace. But then if you read the book of Exodus, it's all about a people who are redeemed from that sin, from that slavery and from that bondage. And then if you read the book of Leviticus, it's all about a holy people. God gives this, this saved and redeemed people a law to live by. And then if you look at the book of Numbers, it's all about a people on a journey now to the promised land. 
which is what you are on. If you click that I commit my life to Jesus button, you are now on a journey with Christ. We're not at the promised land yet. And what we want to do is to equip you with tools to really uh, help you along in this journey with Christ. In addition to that, what we want to do through this uh, sermon series is we want to help you navigate through this wilderness called COVID-19. Because this truly is a wilderness season and the book of Numbers will help us explore, really help us to see that this is not a season to be saddened, but a season to be filled with wonder and awe because of what God can do in the wilderness. Now, in addition to this brand new sermon series, we're going to be offering a new class at the end of January called Gospel 101. And this class is designed not only for new believers, but for people who are seeking Christ and for people who call themselves committed Christians. It's for everyone. And what this class is, is it's a foundations class. We want to lay the foundations of the gospel and really teach you uh, what it is, the central core doctrines that we believe as Christians. And so again, if you click the I commit my life to Jesus button, this is for you. If you are a seeking, uh, somebody who's seeking Christ, this is for you. If you're a Christian just looking for foundations of your faith, this class is for you. And then lastly, we're going to start on January 1st, 2021. We're going to be starting a 45-day reading plan. We're going to be reading through the Gospels of Luke and John. And if you combine those two Gospels together, you get about 45 chapters. And so we'll read one chapter a day as a church. And what we'll do is... We're, we're, we're getting on this app called Version Bible App. We're going to have a plan on there. And what we want you to do is get together with your community groups. If you're not a part of a community group, get together with friends. And you're going to start this plan together. And you're going to be able to text your reflections to one another through this Bible reading plan app. And all this to say, I'm so excited. I'm so thankful. I'm so excited for what God has done and so thankful for what God has done in the past. And I'm so excited for what God will do in the future uh, through New Life Fellowship. And we are praying and we're hoping that God disciple you into 2021 next year into a deeper intimacy, deeper faith with Him. Now, that's all in the future, but but we got today, right? We got to tackle today's sermon. So, uh, you know, we've been in this series called uh, Angel Stories. It's our Advent series. And Advent are the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And what we want to do in this series is really prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And uh, last week, uh, Pastor Kenny shared with us the story of this angel visiting Joseph. Uh, and he talked about this concept of presence, that God is Emmanuel with us. He is God with us. He is God with us in our messiness. He is God with us in our junk and in our filth. And He loves us uh, in the midst of all of this junk and messiness that we find ourselves in. Well, this week what I want to do is I want to talk about the, the story of Mary and how Mary was visited by the angel. And this week what I want to cover is purpose. Last week was about presence. This week is about purpose. So with that said, would you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? We're going to be looking at verses 26 to 38. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And if at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's Word? I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you have that version on your phone or if you have an English Standard Version Bible at home, I would encourage you to open it up. Uh, and let's read this together. Uh, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God. Uh, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you after the reading. This is the reading of God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're so thankful, God, for Luke, the gospel writer, who preserved this story for us. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would ignite these words in our hearts today. Lord, may this not just be another talk that we hear, but Lord, may it be the living words of God inspired, uh, living and breathing in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, and in our souls. And Lord, may we prepare our hearts today for your coming once again by the studying of this scripture. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, today... We only have two points, not three points, all right? Uh, The introduction was a little long, I know, so we only have two points, okay? The first point is this, ordinary to extraordinary. Okay, that's the first point, ordinary to extraordinary. Here's our second point, extraordinary to ordinary. Extraordinary to ordinary. Okay, so first point, ordinary to extraordinary. Second point, extraordinary to ordinary. And you'll see exactly what I mean uh, as we move along in this sermon. All right, so let's dive into our first point, ordinary to extraordinary. Uh, You know, in the fall of 2006, uh, NBC announced uh, this brand new TV show called Heroes. And Heroes in its first season won uh, many awards as well as was nominated for a Golden Globe. Uh, Some of you may remember this TV show. The first season was a hit. I was definitely a fan of this show, a huge, huge fan. Uh, And, uh, you know, the subsequent season, season two was okay. Season three and four started to decline a little bit, but Really what I believe is the reason why this uh, show took off uh, and really became popular was because of the premise of the TV show. And this is the premise of the TV show based on the creators of the show itself. It says this, it's a TV show about ordinary people who discover they have extraordinary abilities. Let me say that again. It's about ordinary people who discover they have extraordinary abilities. And in my personal opinion, this is why Heroes took off. It's because it scratched an itch in the American psyche. Because for for many of us who live in America, we have this dream of being these ordinary, down-to-earth people who end up doing extraordinary things or end up showing the world how extraordinary we really are. Uh, You know, there's a podcast hosted by Guy Raz uh, called How I Built This. And one of the recurring themes of this podcast, and in my belief why it also became very popular, is because it details the rise of these ordinary people who end up doing extraordinary things. They end up building extraordinary movements, extraordinary organizations, or extraordinary companies. And it's these ordinary people doing extraordinary things, which is why, again, it scratched something in the American soul. And I imagine if you're a college student, you didn't get into college and you didn't study your butt off so that you could just be some ordinary person. You study your butt off, you you do the hard work because someday you want to be somebody extraordinary. Or if you're a working professional, I don't imagine you got that entry-level job and said, wow, I got an entry-level job. This is where I want to be forever. No, you you got that entry-level job hoping that one day that entry-level job will turn into a promotion or, or, or into something extraordinary so that you can do something extraordinary with your life. Or if you're a parent, I don't think when your child was born you thought of or, or dreamed of your child just becoming an ordinary adult who's just simply obedient. No, I'm sure you thought rather you want your son or your daughter to be a culture setter, a leader, somebody who's successful, extraordinary. And I think we have this ache to be extraordinary because really at the end of the day, God designed us to have meaning and purpose. And this meaning and purpose drives at us. And we desire it because God actually does give us meaning. He does give us purpose. And this purpose and this meaning really provides us with joy. And this is what we're really after. We believe that being extraordinary human beings will allow us to be filled with meaning and purpose and then ultimately joy. And so, uh, you know, uh, I think this is what the passage is speaking about today. The story of Mary is teaching us about this ordinary teenage girl. She was a teenage girl doing something absolutely extraordinary. And yet here's the kicker. It's not in the way that you would think. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and dive into our passage for today. Okay, this passage is actually sandwiched in between the story of Zechariah. 
Okay, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, it tells us about this priest named Zechariah. And so if you, it starts off with Zechariah's story, and then Mary's story gets inserted. And then after Mary's story uh, is inserted, it, it picks up again with Zechariah's story right after. And what the Gospel writer Luke wants us to do is he actually wants us to compare and contrast uh, these two characters, Zechariah and Mary. In addition to sandwiching these two stories, these two stories are parallel in language and form. In other words, simply put, there's a lot of language used in Zechariah's story that's also used in Mary's story. And so what they want you to do, again, is to compare and contrast Mary and Zechariah. Uh, I'll just give you, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll just have this all up for you. But if you look here, right, it, it says he was troubled. She was troubled. The angel said to him, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You will bear a son. You will bear a son. And you will name him. And you will name him. He will be great. He will be great. Said to the angel. Said to the angel. And replying the angel. And replying the angel. Said to him. Said to her. Gabriel, God sent. Gabriel sent God. And now, and now. You see all of those parallels in language and in form between the two stories, right? Um, but more than the similarities between the stories, what I think Luke wants us to see are actually the differences. And here's the major glaring difference, okay? If you go back and you read the account of Zechariah, uh, what you'll find is that Zechariah was a high-powered, important, well-to-do, respected, educated, honorable man. And he was a priest. And in fact, when we come upon Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, what we find is Zechariah doing this really respectable, honorable job in this really metropolitan city called Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem was a metropolitan. This is where religious, the center of religious worship happened, where the temple of God was there. And Zechariah is found almost at the center of the temple, right? because the deeper you got into the temple, the more holy and holy it got until the, the center, which was called the Holy of Holies. But Zechariah was found right outside the Holy of Holies, in a place called the Holy Place, the sanctuary. And he was lighting incense. And this was a very high, respectable, honorable thing for a priest to do. Only the most special, only the most holy, only the most extraordinary people could do the lighting of the incense uh, in the Holy Place. And yet look at Mary. Where is Mary? What is Mary doing? Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, if you look at the language there, he says named Nazareth because Luke is writing to a, uh, a non-Palestinian audience. And so he has to tell them, look, there's this little town that no one really knows about. It's called Nazareth. And it's in Galilee. It's in this area called Galilee, but it's a little town. And it's true. Nazareth was only a, a tiny little rural town that had about maybe 500 people in its population. No one really knew about Nazareth. Uh, all the people who lived there were uneducated, uh, you know, uh, not very, uh, you know, smart, just poor, you know, blue collar workers, right? Um, and, and in addition, Galileans were, were known for being uh, not the most religious group of people. They were very uh, irreligious at some points. They uh, didn't take religious observance very seriously. And then on top of all of that, Galileans were known to be aggressive folks. Uh, sort of like, you know, I apologize if you're from the East Coast, but uh, sort of like East Coasters, right? They're, they're a little bit more uh, aggressive and a little bit more, um, yeah, tough. Uh, you know, whereas on the West Coast, we're, we're a little bit more relaxed, chilled, right? Uh, this is what Galileans were like. Uh, and so you see the, the difference between the two. Zechariah is from a metropolitan urban city. Uh, he's respectable. He's educated. He's well-to-do. And Mary's a teenage girl who lives in this uneducated part of town, small little rural countryside. And so you see the difference here. It, the difference between the two would be equivalent to an independent, educated, high-powered, tech metropolitan Seattle urbanite compared to a lowly, uneducated rural farm worker out in Ellensburg, Washington. And many of you don't even know where Ellensburg, Washington is. Because why? It's such a small, tiny town in Washington. Nobody really knows or really, nobody really even cares about that area. And in the first story, if you read it with Zechariah, at the end of that story, this high-powered, uh, you know, religious, uh, educated uh, man ends up being cursed. He, he, he doesn't believe God, and so his mouth is closed shut. But then Mary, if you look at her, her mouth is opened. At the end of chapter 1, she sings this magnificat. She sings this song of praise. Her mouth is opened up in praise, and she's actually considered blessed. In addition, Mary, this lowly teenage girl, ends up changing the whole course of human history. 
Look, whether you are a believer or not a believer, what you have to acknowledge is that Christianity has changed the whole course of human history. Uh, whether whether secular, atheist, or, or Christian or religious, uh, most historians acknowledge this, that Christianity had an incredible, incredible impact on the world itself, on its moral, um, uh, on, on, on its morality, on its philosophy, on, on just how we operate as, even as governments. Christianity has had such an enormous impact on the world itself. And what you have to admit is this, that this poor, uneducated, insignificant teenage girl impacted our entire globe this very night. It's crazy. And whether you're irreligious or religious, you have to believe this. This is just a fact that Mary changed the course of the entire world by this one simple act of obedience. And here's the message. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're extraordinary, whether you're ordinary, whether you're smart or whether you're dumb, a networker or relationally obtuse, right? It doesn't matter. God can use you for extraordinary things. He can. Now look, pay attention here because now we're going to get to the crux of the sermon, okay? This is what, we're going to go a little bit deeper now, okay? And look at what Mary is actually tasked with, okay? She changes the entire world. She, she, she changes the entire course of human history. She accomplishes something absolutely incredible. But look at what she's tasked with. Look at what she actually has to do now, okay? Verse 31, look, at with, uh, look with, it, uh, with me there. It says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's what she's tasked with, okay? I want you to underline those three words. She's going to conceive, she's going to bear, and she's going to call. That's what she's tasked with. Conceiving, bearing, and calling, that's it. And in the ancient world, calling your son, calling your daughter a particular name meant that this is the identity that you wanted them to have. This is, what, this is how you were going to rear this child, Okay, so Jesus means God saves. And so she was going to raise this person, Jesus Christ, to be the one that God chooses to save the entire world. But look at this, okay? L let me put it a different way, okay? Do you know what Mary's tasked with? She's tasked with being a mom. She changed the whole course of human history by what? By just being a mom. That's it. By doing something extremely ordinary. She's not tasked to be some high-powered CEO. She's not tasked to take on the world's most powerful organizations. Uh, she's not going to do some advocacy campaign. She isn't going to change the world by working up the corporate ladder and becoming wealthy and rich. She's going to change the world by just doing something so ordinary like being a great, faithful, obedient mom. Do you know how you do extraordinary things for God? It's by being faithful and diligent in the ordinary things that God has called you to. Uh, you know, I ask people um, generally, you know, just to make small talk. Hey, what do you do for a living? What's your vocation? Uh, what do you do for a job? You know, these types of questions. And occasionally I'll come across a stay-at-home mom. And um, I'll ask them, hey, what do you do for, you know, work or for a living? And they'll, they'll say something to this effect. Not all the time, but sometimes they'll say something to this effect. Oh, you know, I, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And, and I'm a little bit perplexed by that statement because for me, when, the reason why I think this person's saying that is because she, she's saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a stay-at-home mom because she doesn't think that this is as, as important as some high-powered, independent CEO woman. She thinks being a mom is just being a mom. But in my view, I think this is one of the highest callings. This is a calling to be a stay-at-home mom. This is a calling to raise your kids. It's an ordinary task, but it's such an important, honorable, respectable task. And so I say to them, you're not just a mom. That's a full-time calling. You're not just a mom. You're, that's a full-time calling from the Lord. People want to be extraordinary, life-changing leaders before being a faithful follower. People want to lead hundreds or thousands of people before leading the people right in their homes. People want to manage the budget of a large Fortune 500 company when you can't even manage your budget at home. You got to be faithful in the ordinary to be extraordinary. 
Uh, you know, I've mentioned this book several times in, in many of my sermons, but uh, in his book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, he actually researches 11 companies that outpace the market by seven times over the course of 15 years. That is incredible, friends. Okay, even Apple hasn't done that. Apple has not outpaced the market for uh, seven times for, uh, for 15 years straight. It has not done that. So these companies are great, great companies. And one of the things he mentions in, in his book that I think is so fascinating is he says he, he thought that what he would find behind the curtain are these charismatic, powerful, uh, very you know, ingenious uh, CEOs and leaders. And what he said was this. He said he found people who were so ordinary. In fact, they were so boring. Uh, and in fact, he said actually the charismatic leaders, it actually worked against them that they had this charisma. He said it was the boring, ordinary leaders that actually led these organizations. And he said what made these leaders so awesome, what made these leaders extraordinary was the simple fact. He said that they were disciplined people with disciplined thought and disciplined action. That's it. That's the reason why they were so successful. That's the reason why they were so extraordinary was because they were simply disciplined. But now let's go even deeper still, okay? Let, let's take this even uh, deeper still because there's something even more significant going on here that makes Mary extraordinary, okay? It's not simply being obedient and faithful in the ordinary, but look at what actually makes Mar Mary's ordinary obedience extraordinary, okay? Look at verse 32, okay? He, that's Jesus, will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. The reason why Mary is great, the reason why Mary does something extraordinary in the ordinary is not because of just that simple fact of being ordinary. It's because of who she was serving. It's because of who she was working for. She was working for the king who would be on the throne forever and ever. It's because she was serving an extraordinary God. See, if you look, right, Luke is not only comparing Mary to Zechariah, okay? Luke is also comparing Jesus to Mary. And if you see, Mary is just a teenage girl, but the God she's serving is this great God, this awesome God who's going to be sitting on the throne forever and ever till there is no end. And this is what makes Mary so extraordinary is because of who she works for. It's the object of her obedience and service, not Mary herself. Look, if you want to make your job extraordinary, if you want to do something extraordinary, don't work for yourself. Don't work for money. Don't work for fame. Work for God. Like, let me put it like this, right? Look, if you work for a failed leader, Okay, and the leader plunges the, the company or the organization into catastrophic, fa catastrophic failure, all the work you do for that company doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Like, because your leader failed, you fail. Because your boss failed, you fail. Because your CEO failed, you fail. But conversely, right, if you work for a great leader who succeeds, who wins, and you work for this person, and they keep winning, succeeding, growing, they do extraordinary things, well, guess what? Your work now matters. Your work now is contributing to something that's gaining momentum and success. Look, if you serve any idol of the world, if you work for fame, if you work for money, if you work for these things, all of these things fail. They never win. They never succeed. Money and fame and success, these will all lead you astray. If you serve these idols, they will all fall and fail one day. And yet if you work for God and His kingdom, His kingdom is winning. His kingdom is successful. His kingdom keeps growing and growing and growing. And if you serve and work for this leader, I'm telling you, all of your work will be extraordinary. This is why everyone remembers Mary. Because she worked, not for herself, not for fame, not for glory, but because she worked for the king, for the true king. The king whose kingdom is actually growing and expanding. Work for God because God is great. God is awesome. Your company is not awesome. Your company is not great. Your company will one day fail just like every other nation and city and kingdom. But look to turn your job into a means for serving God. If you turn your ordinary job into something that you're doing to serve and to work for God, I'm telling you, your job can become extraordinary. You know, Paul reiterates this notion in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. He says, he's talking about bond servants, but this can be applied to, to employees, 
who work for their bosses. He says as bond servants, obey your earthly masters, obey your bosses with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to a man. Do you see what he's saying there? Like work as if you're working for God himself. And turn your work as a means for serving God, not for serving your company, not for serving your earthly masters. Don't look at your job as serving Amazon or Microsoft. Yes, they are your earthly bosses, but your real boss is Jesus in heaven. And when you work at your job, you're not working for Jeff Bezos. You're not working for Satya Nadella. You're working for not yourself to climb the corporate ladder. You're working for Jesus Christ. Do you want to turn being a stay-at-home mom from some ordinary task to an extraordinary task? No, that you're not just feeding your child, clothing your child, rearing your child, emotionally supporting your child. What you're doing is you're serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by being a caring and loving mother and father. When you study, don't study for yourself. Study as if you were studying unto Jesus Christ Himself. And this, friends, is how you turn the ordinary into extraordinary, is when you turn everything for the Lord Himself. Let's move on to our second point, extraordinary to ordinary, and this is our final point. So in our last point, we talked about the ordinary people doing extraordinary things, but in this point, what I want to share is that in order to do extraordinary things, you actually have to remember that you're ordinary. Let me say that again. In order for you to do extraordinary things, you have to actually remember that you yourself are ordinary. So we said, going from ordinary to extraordinary, now we're going to go from extraordinary to ordinary. Because see, here's this really harmful, harmful ideology in America, and it says this, I'm so great, I'm so special, if I just discover my true self, if I just know who I am, then people will see how great I am. People will see how special and unique I am. And, and you know what? Then, then everyone will love me. I'll achieve fame and success. But the reason why I don't have fame, the reason why I don't have success, the reason why I don't have money, the reason why I'm not extraordinary is because I haven't tapped into my true potential. I don't know who I really am. But if people just found out, man, they would be blown away by who I am. And yet, I'm sorry to say this, but this is false. This is a false narrative that's being fed to you. This kind of thinking doesn't lead anywhere except for a large ego, a large head, and maybe even narcissism. You know, I've been reading through this book called The Narcissistic Epidemic. It's written by uh, 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 two psychologists, one uh, Gene Twenge and another guy named Keith uh, Campbell. And uh, what they're basically talking about in this book is that there's a new plague, not coronavirus, Okay, there's a new plague and it's actually narcissism and it's sweeping across, just as coronavirus has swept across the US and the world, it's sweeping across America and it's narcissism. And narcissism is catastrophic at every level of society. And so in chapters one to four of this book, they actually detail for us how narcissism is spreading and how narcissism is destroying and crumbling our very society. Then in chapters five, okay, it begins to talk about what are the root causes of this narcissism. It starts to tell us about why does this narcissism spread in the United States. And in chapter 5, they talk about this. One of the reasons, not all the reasons, but one of the reasons why narcissism is spreading is because of parenting. It's because of parents. And, and millennials are subject to this type of parenting, and millennials are now parenting their kids in this way as well. And it's this, right? We tell our kids from an early, early age, you're special. You're a princess. You're a prince. You're royalty. And so we even buy shirts and clothing for our kids that says, I'm a princess. And, and what Gene Twang and Keith Campbell say very truthfully in, re in reality, they, they say, your kids are not royalty. Do you, you understand that, right? They're not a prince. They're not a princess. They're, they're maybe middle class, upper middle class suburban kids. That's what they are. They, they don't have servants. They don't have a palace. They don't have a mansion. They're just kids. And yet we treat them like they're royalty. We obey them more than they obey us. We, 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 we give them all these freedoms without the consequences of what that freedom brings. And what we do is we serve our kids and we praise them because what we think will happen is if we get them to feel good about themselves, we believe that if they feel good about themselves, then they'll accomplish something great. And yet what they say, what these two psychologists say is that's not true. 
what ends up happening is if you keep telling your kids they're great, if you keep telling your kids they're awesome, if you keep praising your kids without any works, what ends up happening is that they have this inflated sense, this inflated ego, and they think the whole world revolves around them. And so when it comes to Coping with stresses, our children don't grow up with the ability to cope with stress. Because how can a prince or how can a princess not be given that job? How can royalty be denied? How, how can the king not get what he wants? I thought I was special. I thought I was great. What's going on? Our children grow up thinking uh, they're, they're great without any hard work or effort. We grow up thinking we're special and if people just found out who we really are, that, that we would become famous and awesome. Look, in the 1950s, parents actually, compared, uh, actually uh, really cared about obedience. They wanted their kids to be obedient. But today, it's more like we, as parents, are now becoming obedient to our children, giving them everything they want and desire. And look, I'm about to say something really honest, and I'm just being real here. And I'm saying this with truth and in love, okay? I'm saying this really, and, and this is why you have to be plugged into a community group, because sometimes I'm going to say some harsh stuff, and, and I want you to hear this because this is the truth in love, okay? Look, I, I, and I say this with all lovingness, but if people, okay, actually discovered who you really are, okay, they wouldn't celebrate you. They would actually run. If they found out the dirty and shameful thoughts you have, if they found out what you really thought and felt, people would actually cancel you. They wouldn't celebrate you. This is why there's a really wide gap between your social media account and what you Google search late at night. Is there not? You post all the nice things on, on social media, but you hide all the dirty things. Why? Because if people really found out who you were, they would realize that you are wretched, that you are sinful. We aren't special, we aren't great, we aren't extraordinary, but do you know who we should be saying that about? The only person that deserves being, that being said about is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the only one that should be saying, look, if people just knew who I really am, if they knew who I really am, they would praise and worship me. If they really know who I am, they would fall down at my feet in fear and in trembling. If they found out who I really am, they would have to acknowledge that I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the only one. He's the only one that is great. He's the only one that is awesome. And this passage makes this abundantly clear. Mary is not special. Mary is not great. The Catholic Church tried to make Mary so great that she was almost divine at one point. In fact, she still is divine in some sense in the Catholic Church. They prayed to her. They took this Virgin Mary thing way too far. And in fact, Mary herself tells us that she's not divine, nor is she great. Look what she says in verse, or look what it says in verse 28 and 29. And he came to her and said, this is the angel speaking to Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That word favored one means graced one. Look, you've been gifted with something good. And then look at what Mary does. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You know why she was greatly troubled? Because she's like, I'm... I'm not special. I'm not great. What are you talking about? That language of favored one was used of royalty. She's like, I'm, I'm not graced. I'm not gifted. I'm not blessed. And in fact, later on, she asks, how can this be? Because she understands how weak, how powerless she really is to accomplish this task. Because remember, the angel says, you're going you're gonna to conceive, bear, and call. And she says like, how can this be? I, I don't have the power to accomplish this. The only reason why we remember Mary is because she served the God who was great, not because she herself was great. Mary was a lowly and humble and a servant. And this is exactly what she says at the end of the passage. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's just humble and obedient. Look, and even though you're not special, even though you're not great, even though you're not awesome, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who is great. There is a God who is awesome. There is a God who is deserving of all praise and all worship, who does love you. Even though you are sinful, even though you are wretched, even though you are filled with shame and guilt, there is a God who loves you dearly. There is a God who desires you. There is a God who desires you even though there's a gap between your Instagram and your Google searches. There is a God who loves you while you're sinful. There is a God that, 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 that loves you despite you not being special or inherently lovable. He loves you. 
Look, think about it like this. The reason why you don't think the gospel is gospel is because you believe you deserve God's love at times. Because look, if you think you're so great and lovable and special, it's not gospel anymore. It's what you deserve. Yeah, of course God should love me. In fact, God should give me all these gifts because I'm so special. I'm so great. I'm so awesome. I'm so lovable. God should be giving me all this stuff. God, where are you now? The gospel is no longer good news. It's just what you deserve if you believe you're so great and awesome. But the gospel only becomes gospel when you say, I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. I'm unlovable. Like who would love such a sinner like me? The gospel is good news because you are not great, because you are not holy, because you are sinful, dirty, wretched, and yet Christ loved you. Look, the reason why the cross is so beautiful, friends, is because it shows us that an unlovable people were loved by a great, special, mighty, holy, and awesome God. Look, the cross reveals that the only thing we deserved was death and punishment. This is why the cross is so gruesome and bloody, because it's a visible picture of what should have happened to us for all of eternity. And yet the cross is also so wonderful because that blood spilt in red is the language of love that God showered onto His people that cleanses us of our sins and gives us a righteousness that is not our own. It is because of the cross of Christ, friends, that we can sing hallelujah, that we can sing amen, that we can sing these praises unto the Lord because we are in an unlovable people that we're loved by God Himself. And this is good news, friends. Let me illustrate this point with a story that I, um, that, that just recently happened to me. You know, um, I, uh, a while back, I started following a pastor named Gordon McDonald. And uh, Gordon McDonald is an elderly man. He's about 80 years old now. And uh, he's been through a tremendous, uh, in his lifetime. And I heard him on a podcast and I just really started liking him. Uh, the, just the, just how deep his intimacy with the Lord was, just how, um, how much he loved the church and how much he loved uh, his wife and, and how much he loved God. And just all of these things were so amazing to me. And so I just started listening to him more. And um, in fact, I picked up one of his books and I actually quoted him in one of our sermons. Um, he, he wrote a book um, uh, uh, a while back that I read. And, and this past week, I was listening to another podcast and, and I found out something about Gordon McDonald that I did not know. Uh, back earlier in Gordon McDonald's ministry life, he actually committed adultery uh, against his wife. Uh, he was about 45 years old. This happened back in 1982 or 83, uh, where he had an adulterous relationship with another woman. Uh, he was ultimately let go from his position. Uh, and so, but now he's been restored. Um, he's uh, had many, many years where he's been, of course, faithful. They've worked it out. And now him and his wife have a very, very dear and loving marriage. And yet when I found out this information, I, I, I couldn't tell, I, I can just tell you, I was very, very discouraged. I was, man, I was like, man, I thought this guy was awesome, but he has this taint of sin in his past. And it just made me look at him a little bit differently. But as I started reflecting upon it more and more, uh, I think what, what the Holy Spirit ended up doing was he, he gave me a, a newfound respect actually for his wife. Because I just kept thinking to myself, why would his wife stay with him? Why would his wife stay with him? Why would his wife work this out? The Bible gives you permission to actually divorce uh, your spouse if they commit adultery. But why would she stay with him? Why would she work this out? And it made me realize the strength of his wife's love. See, because Gordon McDonald didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve his wife to take him back. And yet his wife did, and they worked through it painfully together. They worked on it really, really hard. And in fact, he came out with another book where he talks about rebuilding his broken world. And really, at the end of the day, it was a large part due to his wife and how much his wife loved him and how much she wanted to stick things out and work things out. And today, they're an elderly couple and they love each other more and more than ever. And it's because it shows, this shows not how great Gordon McDonald is, it shows how great his wife Gail is and how much love she had for him and how much love she had for their unity together. Look, and this is exactly what the cross of Christ reveals to us. We were unlovable. We were adulterous to the Lord. And yet the Lord still loved us and He worked it out for us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for all our sins. 
And the way we can accomplish extraordinary things is by acknowledging that we cannot do anything. But it is God who does all things, even in our salvation through us. It is God who does all things. And in fact, at the end of the story, in verse 35, uh, the angel says this in verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I want you to underline overshadow. That word comes from the Old Testament about the tabernacle. God would overshadow the tabernacle. And if you remember what the tabernacle was, it was this little tent in the wilderness. And yet the tabernacle became this extraordinary thing. Why? Because God overshadowed it. Because God's presence was in the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself was just this tent. It wasn't impressive by any means. This is why they ended up having to build the temple. Because the temple was glamorous. But the tabernacle, well, the tabernacle was unimpressive. And this is what the angel is getting at. Look, Mary, you're unimpressive. But the Lord will overshadow you. The Lord's presence with you will overshadow you. And people will see God through you. And because of that, that's why you're extraordinary. Because through your life, they will see God. And what will make you great in the eyes of God is when you live a life where God overshadows you. When people look at your life, they don't see you, they see Christ. They see God overshadowing you because of the grace you received from Him. And look, friends, if you're at home there, you're sitting at home and you feel unworthy. And maybe some of the things that I said to you rubbed you in the wrong way. Maybe, maybe you thought, man, what is Pastor Eric saying? And maybe you're sitting at, there at home feeling unworthy. Maybe you're, you're, you're feeling like your soul has been chasing something. And I'm telling you, this Christmas, Christmas message is for you. It's for you because what this says is, look, yes, I may be unlovable, but a God who's great and amazing loves you. And look, there can be joy, there can be purpose, there can be meaning in your life. And all you have to do is submit, just like Mary did, submit as a servant and receive Christ, not only as your Lord, but as the Savior of your life. And friends, when you do, I'm telling you, the love of Christ will wash over you. The Holy Spirit will wash His love over you. Why? Not because you're lovable, but because of Christ's work on the cross for you. Because He did a work on your behalf. Because He loved you in your sinfulness. And if you want to receive Christ, it's very simple. Repent, trust, believe upon the name of the Lord. And if you have courage, click on the I commit my life to Jesus button. Click on that today. And friends, I want to challenge you and encourage you to click on it again. And let a pastor begin walking with you, praying with you, and helping you begin this journey with Christ in love, faith, hope, and in joy. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for this passage. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to see just how ordinary we are, God. Would you help us to see, God, that we are nobody? God, would you help us to see that we are unlovable? But Lord, at the same time, may we see once again, God, just how great and amazing and loving you are towards us. Would you help us to see, Lord, that you love us, God, that you love us even though we are unlovable. God, that you sacrifice for us even though, God, we don't deserve any of it at all. And Lord, would you encourage our hearts today? Would you encourage those at home, especially for those of, of, of us who do not call you Lord and Savior yet, Lord, we pray and ask, God, that you would make it alive in their hearts. Would you make this truth alive in their hearts, Lord, so that they would come to believe and know and rest upon your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would overshadow all that we do in this church. Lord, would your presence overshadow this church, and may we become an extraordinary church, God. Not because we're extraordinary, but because, God, you are. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, at this time, we are going to partake in communion, but I just want to give you a moment to prepare the elements. So why don't you go ahead and take 30 seconds, and I'll see you right back here for communion.
Well, hey, church, uh, I'm so glad that we get to do communion together today. Uh, communion uh, is not only a sign, but it is a seal of the work of Christ in our hearts. And friends, I really want to encourage you today to take communion very, very seriously. Because what this represents, friends, is that even though we were unlovable, even though we're not special, we're not great, the bread represents the body of Christ who was indeed sinless, who was indeed great, who was indeed awesome, and His body was broken for you and for me. And His blood that was spilled was washed for us. And this, friends, the birth of Jesus Christ reminds us not only of His birth, but it reminds us of the sacrifice that He made for our behalf, that He endured hell on our behalf, that we might have life and life abundantly. And so, with that said, you know, if you're not a believer, please refrain from partaking. Uh, the reason being is not because we think we're special, but it's simply because uh, we believe that this represents a spiritual reality that we have ascended to in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. But if today you received Christ for the first time, please partake in communion with us. This is a celebration. This will be the first time for you taking communion as a Christian. If you're a struggling Christian and you're struggling in your sins, you're struggling in your depression, you're struggling with to find hope. Friends, take communion with us. This will enliven your heart. This is what your soul needs right now, is the grace and the love of Jesus Christ spelled out for you in this act, in this sacrament. So with that said, let me say the words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for all the wonderful gifts that you've given to us. And Lord, we pray, God, for all of those who are struggling with hopelessness, depression, God, who are struggling with addiction. We pray that the body and the, uh, the, body and the blood would renew them once again, Lord. Would it remind them of the grace and the love that you've showered undeservedly upon us, God. We did not deserve any of it, and yet you gave it to us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would make the sacrament alive in our hearts once again, Lord, so that we may pursue you uh, forever and ever. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.